G'day everyone. Hope everyone's well. Um, yes, it's me doing the sermon this morning. So I hope everyone's in for a treat, ready for... No, I'm just kidding. But I am excited because um, I'm really excited to share what God has sort of been putting on my heart. But before we get into it, let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you that you um, are speaking to us as a church, Lord Jesus. You are very clearly directing us and leading us as a church. So, uh, Lord, I pray that it is your word that is shared, not mine. Your will as always be done, Lord. So, yeah, Lord, we pray for your blessing. And we pray that you will speak this morning as you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. All right, I'm just going to quickly uh, take this mask off. There we go. Awesome. So, um, uh, as I said, yes, I'm the one here this morning giving the sermon. So I hope that's okay with everyone. We don't get to hear from Dad, but that's that's fine. I'll try and do a good job. Um, I was actually asked to do this um, as a follow-up to... The panel that we had a few weeks ago, I don't know if any or many of you managed to um, catch that, but we did a panel with myself, uh, Dad and Carvin, and there were some points that I brought up that Carvin, Carvin messaged me during the week and was like, Josh, we'd love you to to share on that specific thing that you were, uh, you were talking about in terms of um, what I mentioned kind of towards the end about how John in Revelations, in the book of Revelations, heard the promise um, and then saw the fulfillment of it and how that looked kind of different um, with each promise. So I'm actually going to be talking a little bit about that, but going to be focusing specifically. Sorry, I'm sorry if the mic's making noise. Just have to adjust the height. Oh, oh no. What have I done? There we go. All right. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about the what John saw in the scene of heaven, uh, what he heard the elder say to him, and then what he saw um, in seeing the Lamb of God. So let's focus on that, but I want to give a little bit of a reminder of that. So I was talking, and also I just want to kind of establish really early on that none of what I'm doing or when when I'm reading into things in Revelations or um, kind of talking about importance or sim- symbolism and stuff. I'm not doing anything beyond what Dad has already established. I think it's really important that we let the teacher be the teacher in the church. So um, that this all this stuff is actually just building off of what Dad has kind of already shared with us as a church about um, what Revelations is saying to us. So what I'm hoping to do is take what is being said um, and make it a bit more relevant or not more relevant, but I just want to share what God has kind of been showing to me about what is actually said in these scriptures. So um, we're going to quickly look at um, Revelations. The one that I'm going to focus on is going to be Revelations uh, Sorry, uh, chapter 5, verse 5 to 6. And I'll just quickly read what it says and then I'll give some context. So um, this is while John um, is in heaven and he's actually, maybe I'll just read from the start. So from the start of chapter five, 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now this is where the promise comes in. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So what I wanted to talk a little bit about, and this is actually kind of off the back of a sermon that dad gave a few weeks ago now, probably a month ago, um, where he talks about there's three instances that we've seen so far where John heard something and then saw something that was different. So the first example is in chapter 1. Actually, I've got references here for anyone that wants to look it up. But chapter 1, verse 10, um, where John heard a voice like a trumpet. And then in the same chapter, but verse 12 to 16, he he saw the seven lampstands and saw a man walking amongst them with um, hair of white and, and there's this glorious image of Jesus as he was walking amongst the, <clears throat> amongst the lampstands, but he heard the voice first. Um, and then the next one is this one that I'm reading from, chapter 5, where he, he heard the promise from the elder saying, the lion of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered, he's the one who was worthy. And then when he turned and saw, he saw a lamb as though it had been slain. So he'd, he'd kind of seen something that was slightly different to what he'd heard. Now, the context of what Dad gave was for the third version, which was in, uh, I think it's chapter 7, with 144,000. John heard the 144,000 of Israel that was sealed, but then when he turned and looked, he saw a multitude, a great multitude. Let me actually read the language that it says. He saw... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. And what I asked dad after that sermon, because the pattern that I kind of had noticed was it was almost as if he had heard something. Cause, so dad's argument was that um, what he had seen was the same thing as what he had heard. So it was like it, there weren't two separate things that he heard and then he saw something different but what he heard was was almost like what was to come and then what he saw was what it actually was and so then i asked him i was like so is it would it be fair to say that it was that what he heard was essentially the promise or like the mark of it or what was kind of said about it and then what he actually saw was the fulfillment of that promise and i um i'm not saying with any dad is the one that confirmed that for me so i'm going to rely on him and his his confirmation of that is like great so the fulfillment of it is um what he saw but the promise is what he heard so i want to talk a little bit about this idea that the lion of judah who has conquered that was the phrase sorry that was the phrase that was promised that was this this image that was promised um 
But the fulfillment of that, the complete full package of that was the lamb that was slain, which is interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And I want to talk about what that actually means. Um, now, when we think about the lion, let's talk about that first. The context of the lion, for those of us that don't know, the lion of Judah, when Jacob blessed his sons, the 12 tribes, um, the he blessed Judah in Genesis 49, verse uh, 8 to 9. I'm not going to go there, but for those of you that want to look it up, in Genesis, he says, um, Judah is a lion cub, and it's this it's this blessing of Judah, you will be king, you will be this this mighty lion, this powerful. It's it, it's I feel like it's pretty obvious what the imagery is supposed to evoke. It's this coming it even says the phrase coming out of the prey. It's it's stepping up above and this it's almost this like visual force of um of might and power and and royalty and strength. And I think the um even just as a lion in and of itself, we already know that lions, um, just in the natural world, in any in every other sense, they represent this like almost this majesty and this strength um, and this regal nature. So I think that um, this particular image is kind of all the context that we sort of need. Is first of all that um, the lion of Judah. And the root of David, and as well, the root of David is talked about in Isaiah. He actually references the root of Jesse, but it's it's this um, this root that bears a, an abundance of fruit that is a signal to all the believers. Um, it's this it's this icon essentially of um, I get I don't know it's it's this eminence of like of significance and. I think the point that I'm making is the promise was this this being that the the line of Judah, the root of David, was this person that was coming that was going to be um, powerful and mighty and significant and ahead of everyone and, and this great large signal, um, and 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 even just the fact that it was using a line evokes pretty strong imagery. But what I would love and what I want to suggest is that all of that imagery. Every single aspect of the pictures that we can have in our mind when we picture the Old Testament line of Judah or the signal to the children of Israel and the root of David and the, um, the majesty of the lion is completely and fully encapsulated in the lamb and is completely and fully encompassed in the lamb that was slain, because in Revelations, remember, it says, um, I saw a lamb as though it had been slain, which I think is important. I think that's a really important fact that it's not just the sign of humility, but it's the sign of ultimate sacrifice. Um, and that this imagery is encapsulated in the lamb, not because there's, it's, it's not that there's two sides of the same coin. It's not that Jesus has these two alter egos. Um, or that like sometimes he's a lion and sometimes he's a lamb, um, or that he's he's both at the same time, but the actual significant fulfillment of it is in the lamb. It's like he's only the lion because of what he did as the lamb, and that is the fulfillment of the lion. It's not the other way around. It's not that one is more important, but it's actually completely and fully through the lamb that we see the might and power and the and 
the majesty of that. Um, so I want to I want to talk about what that what that actually means because at the moment it's just imagery, and I understand. I think that that is it's still awesome imagery, but I think I think we need to know what that actually looks like uh, in real life. So um, I, I, it actually works out well because last week Dad talked about the two witnesses. So I think we can go to that scripture and look at the, I guess, the confirmation of this humility that we've seen. Um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's quite a long chapter that I want to cover. But the the key points of it um, are in chapter 11, Revelations chapter 11. Um, I'm going to read some some key things here. So uh, in verse 3, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now I'm just going to quickly pause to say that Dad, um, when he preached last week, mentions that the the two witnesses um, represent their church. So they and it, it, you know he uses the, the the fact that they are the two lampstands as the confirmation for that. Um, so as as I read on, I want you guys to imagine and and put the church, not our church, but the church, the whole body of Christ, in the position of these two witnesses. As I read this, um, and if anyone would harm them, this is verse five. If anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. I'm just going to keep reading because I think it's really cool. Um, they have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. I know I said I wasn't, wasn't going to read the whole chapter, but I couldn't resist. Um, so what I want to draw from that is that there's kind of two instances of humility. Um, the first one, and Dad actually pointed this out in his sermon last week, is that they prophesied for 1260 days in sackcloth, which is, especially in, in that culture, the ultimate mark of humility. It's the ultimate mark of I have nothing, I am nothing, I'm just a, a dude in a, in a, whatever a sackcloth is, a bag for potatoes, I suppose. Um, I've got nothing else, I'm wearing nothing else, just this, I am nothing, but what I'm preaching is everything. 
So that's the first mark of the humility. And then with that, after that, that's when it says that, um, that all their enemies were dealt with. Right, it was fire came out of their mouths. The word of God, and the, and it evokes this imagery of Elijah and Moses, because it's showing the power that is held by the churches as they preach. But it has to be, it has to start and be not just start, but it's marked in. It's this, it's it's this complete um, outward expression of humility. So it has to be marked with humility first, um, and then at their death, where they were desecrated, they were humiliated. Um, Dad gave examples of at the time in one of the Roman cities where there were just bodies lying on the street of Christians who um, were just completely disregarded as humans. Um, it was after this, I guess, this total abandonment of self that then when they were resurrected, the people of the earth actually started to fear and then God brought his glory down with the earthquake. And it says 7,000 died. Um, with that, well, Let me actually read the passage. Um, in v- verse 13, And at that hour, this is right after the two witnesses had been lifted up to heaven. At that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, remember, the the people that it's talking about in that specific moment, the people that are giving glory to the God of heaven are the same people that were rejoicing over the death of these two witnesses because the witnesses were a torment to them, because the witnesses were, whatever, not letting them live their life the way that they felt they wanted to. It It was the word that the witnesses were preaching was a torment to them. And now at the witnesses' death, because of their humility and their resurrection, um that is the that is what then led them to fearing God and giving glory to God. So then what I want to talk about and kind of draw your attention to is there's two other instances where God brought this kind of disaster into the world. Revelation six, verse twelve, at the opening of the sixth seal. Um, God is bringing down just this almighty smiting and the people of the earth are crying out, asking God, hide us from this. Please hide us from the, you know, bring the mountain down on us and hide us from your wrath. Um, in revelation, in revelations nine verse five, the humans were tormented for five months, um, by these by these locusts coming out of the ground. And then in Revelations 9 verse 20, with the sixth trumpet, the angel blowing the sixth trumpet, there was there was more oops, there was more disasters, there was more uh things happening in the world where the just this fury was being brought down on the people. Um but the key thing is, in fact let me just read it. In verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons, and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So there are three instances. Sorry, let me just fix these ears. There are three instances where God brought down this, I guess, his fury or this, 
a, an example of his glory and complete power, but there was no repentance from the people. But then when it was the witnesses who through humility spoke and gave their life and, and spoke the testament and held the testament in their mouths, that that was when, when, the, when God then brought the glory down, that was when the people of the world turned and actually gave glory back to God. So what I want to suggest is that it was the church that was the key. It's God's church that is the key to seeing repentance. See, we are the key to seeing God's, um, God's glory be acknowledged in this world. See, Revelations, I, I feel like the point is that Revelations is saying, and Dad actually said this as well, that Revelations, it shows all this stuff that is happening and there was no repentance. All these people were suffering and going through all this judgment, but there was no repentance. But it was only at the lying down of the witnesses and the humility of the witnesses that, they're actually, that we saw a change. And that's how we see that the church is the key to God's plan. And it also shows... And, and it kind of confirms why Jesus was among the lampstands. So you remember how I said that John heard the voice like a trumpet, like this disembodied voice of God, but then he turned and he just saw a man walking amongst the lampstands. Now we know that the lampstands are the church. So we know that the fulfillment of this, of Jesus, is actually just Jesus walking amongst his church. It's almost like the, the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus is, is a man who is amongst his churches and is not just among them, but is actually caring for them and and addressing them and 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 making sure that that they're that they're burning the right way and that their their oil is filled and he's there's this regular maintenance that's happening it shows that Jesus cares about and is among his people the lamb in heaven who is above all of heaven and earth is there with his churches at all times you see, I believe that God always intended for his church to conquer. God already is ruler. God already, there's nothing that we can do to, to change how God is the ruler of heaven and earth. He already is the king. But he's always intended for his church to conquer alongside him. He is the king on the throne and Jesus is the lion that was promised. So when you look through the seven letters, that's why you see that there's, there's all this talk about... Um, and those who conquer and and this this language of as we do this the you know let me actually get an example up um in a, i'm just looking at chapter 2 um verse 7 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers i will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of god See, it's always God's plan to conquer. Sorry, my mic is dropping, so I should adjust it. It was always, always God's plan for his church to conquer and to be alongside him as he conquers. But to be conquerors, we need to speak with the scroll in our mouth and in our belly, right? That's God's word. And then beyond that, we need to do it in all humility, you see, Jesus is the Lamb. He is uh, sorry. He is the Lion of Judah. He he is that. We know that and we see that. 
But to see the fulfillment of it in the church, we need to look to what the promise was or what the fulfillment of that promise was, which is the lamb that was slain. And that means that our ministry at all points, at all times, needs to be marked by humility. It needs to be marked by the wearing of the sackcloth. Obviously, in a, in a symbolic way, it means we need to be marked and identifiable as completely humble in what we're doing as the church. Only then will we see in the church God's ultimate power, and His ultimate power is leading people to repentance. But to see that, we need to be, we need to be the example first. We need to be completely humble. We need to be completely marked and um as if the, the the only thing that identifies us as Christians is complete humility. So what I want to suggest to you guys is that it's easy to 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 view Christianity and this walk of Christianity as as if we need to be lions that walk among the among the world or among the people. But I think that I think what actually that means is is to be the lamb is to 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 be able to actually see that happen in real life we need to to look at the example of the lamb i'm going to get Charlene if you wouldn't mind playing by the blood for me i think we'll go into that because i think we need to acknowledge that the only way to fully see jesus's might and his power is to acknowledge that it's through the Lamb and it's through the example of what Jesus did on the cross, right? Of course, because that's what it is. It's about the Lamb that was slain. Ultimately, it's about what Jesus did on the cross. That is the full package of what we are supposed to be aiming for as Christians. I know it's tempting to to view this world as as a war that needs to be fought and you know we need to be lions i think i remember growing up there was always this like strong imagery of our god as a lion and so you kind of have this this idea that we need to be lions and we need to be strong and we need to be forceful and mighty and powerful but I, i i still believe that god is the lion and jesus is almighty and all powerful and has all dominion over this earth and we can speak that and we can speak his authority over every aspect of our lives and we can speak his authority over every every domain in the flesh and the spirit but for us to 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 embody that for us to embody it we actually need to take our eyes off of what we hear the promise as and actually look at what the fulfillment of the promise is which is the lamb that was slain the example of ultimate humility to the point of death So I want to encourage everyone, that, especially with these things that are going on now at the moment, and Carvin mentioned them before as well, that it's so easy to get caught up in, in needing to, I don't know, I guess feel like we need to, to fight because Jesus calls us to fight and to conquer. That stuff is done in the spiritual, but in terms of how we live our life on this world, if we want to actually see lives changed... Because that's honestly the only reason we're on this earth. We're not actually here to live a comfortable life. And even if you want to say that it's you're fighting for other people's rights, well, we're, not, we're also not here to try and set up a comfortable life for other people. We're actually only here for the sake of discipleship and for leading people to God. 
and we see, we know that the way to do that is by holding the scroll, which is the word of God, in our mouth. Tastes sweet, but it's bitter because we have to work on it. It's hard. It's not easy. It's a bitter thing that we have to push through. We have to hold that word in our mouth and speak it to people in complete humility. We're going to be shut down. We're going to be shot down. We're going to be denigrated. We're going to be completely disrespected. But that is the only way that we are going to see God's real power fulfilled. That is the only way that we're really going to see the, the promise of the Lion of Judah, the promise of this kingdom of God, the promise of this, this mighty, powerful reign, we're not going to do it by might. We're not going to do it by our, by our own might or by our own force or power or strength. It's actually going to be completely through the example of the sacrificial lamb to the point of death. And, and if you needed any more anything else to convince you, Just turn to Revelations 12, verse 11. I'm going to read it out. Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. And they have conquered him. And by him, they're talking about the accuser. They're talking about Satan. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death all about humility and that's all it is there's nothing else there's nothing else we need to do to try and try and experience god's might or to bring god's power or reign on this earth he's he hasn't actually asked us to do any of that all he's asked us is to be marked by humility and to speak his word that's it that's all we need to do doesn't matter what's going on in the world we don't need to fight for for legislation that makes it easier for us to get through this life there's there's, there's going to be rulers and tyrants that come up. There have been for generations and there will be for generations more. There's nothing that we can actually do about that. And God actually hasn't asked us to do anything about that. He's just asked us that no matter what the context is, no matter what the setting is, he's just said, I just want you to be a sacrificial lamb. I just want you to be marked by humility and speak my word. That's it. That's where it stops. That's it. No more. You don't have to fight for your rights. You don't have to. It's just just speak his, his word. And then his word will prevail. Because that's all we're here for. That's all this earth is for. This this world is finite. Everything is going to turn to dust eventually. So get get off your all this stuff about trying to establish this whatever. I don't even know. There's just so many thoughts going through my head. Because all of it doesn't actually matter. We're not trying to build up a worldly kingdom. We're building up a spiritual kingdom by living in humility. And speaking God's word. And that's when we will see the line of Judah come through. That's when we will see this might and this power that has been promised to us from the Old Testament all the way to here. We can't fight for it. We fight for it in the spiritual, of course. We shut that stuff down. But the way that we live our lives is marked by humility and preaching God's word. I'm going to finish there. I'm going to, I am going to ask Dad or Carvin if they had anything else that they would like to Whoa. share. Josh! That was... <laughs> All right, let me, let, me, let, me, let me say this, Josh. My... Okay. The only issue with that, with that kind of sermon is it's very counterculture to the Western gospel enterprise. 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, but that is amazing. Now, the punchline of your sermon is well, which I love. I'm paraphrasing here that the lion and the lamb is not the saying of the you know the presentation of the lion of the and the lamb is not saying that there were there are two sides of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's about the fullness of who the lion is, who is as a lion, because what he did as a lamb. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, even I can't say, I couldn't say that. <laughs> uh, the fullness of who he is as the lion, because of what he did as the lamb. Yeah, it was as if, okay, you've heard all, you know, you've heard about the lion, right? The scripture saying this, but this is the reality. Because lion obviously talk about dominant, powerful, mighty beast, right? And the fulfillment of that, Jesus as if to say, do you want to see what's powerful? <laughs> yeah. He hung himself on the cross. It's like, mm. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. What do you think? Uh, wow. <laughs> wow, Josh. You said so much in that. And, and it's so simple because, yeah, it really goes back to the point you made in the beginning. He's only the lion because of what he did as the lamb. It make, it, even now, it makes me think about when Pilate was talking to Jesus and he said, are you the king? And, and he was talking as if, you know, um, you know, who's fighting for you? And, and even in that scripture, when... Jesus says, if I called down the legions of angels right yeah. now, yeah, yeah. I could do it because my <laughs> kingdom is not of this world. It. It's almost like it was it was to give you a um, a quick preview through his words of what he looks like as wow. the ultimate force and the conqueror and who he is. He said in a moment. The angels will come because my kingdom is nothing like this. But he didn't do that. Mm. He was led to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. He shows us what it looks like to conquer. He is the lion, but you will only see that conquered and you will only see through fruition of that through humility to the point of death. That and and we as the church we have to be that. So yeah, look, I, I that was that is powerful. That is to me that is what scripturally that is how the church should be seen by everyone. Everyone in this world yeah. as the purpose as the ambassadors of Christ. Everyone when they look at the church they should see only humility and yeah. they should see. Only as as you pointed out in Revelation 11, when those people were raised up, that's when the glory of God came. That's when repentance happened, and people fell, you know, and and realized, okay, this is God. Yeah, this this is Him. Because that that was pointing out to me earlier this week that the 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 turmoil that happened as they were lifted up. That same turmoil already happened like three other times, but each time there was no repentance. 
but it was at the humility and the lying down of the witnesses which yeah. that is established is the church it was at the it was at the preaching of the word and the lying down of their lives yeah. laying down of their lives that that's when the repentance was brought yeah and isn't that incredible with those three different instances you see the power yeah. You see the amazement. You see the incredible mm, yeah. force of who God actually is, and yet there's no repentance. Yeah. But then when you see that fulfilled in the humility That's it. of yeah. the two witnesses, yeah. then the repentance falls. That is our part as the church. We have to be that. We have to focus on what it looks like to be humble, to come in sackcloth, to realize it is not about my rights. It is about the glory of God. And this is the way to it. This is the only way. Jesus you. said, pick up your, if, you, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to do what I do. Hmm. You have to do what I did. And there's no way, there's no getting around that. Woo! You guys don't understand how excited I am just to hear back from you guys. What I, what, I, what I preach all this time and I'm to hear back from you guys like oh Lord Jesus they get it that's yeah. why yeah and that sermon that you just preached as you the way you expounded it it gives me more insight to the truth you know how in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2 Jesus is described okay first Jesus is described as the embodiment of all God is and when you see and the way the way you relate the whole thing is it was until the humility of the witnesses was manifested into its fullness that there was repentance. So so as you were talking about that, this picture came to me, it's like God, mankind. It's so divided, so you know, so far that there's schism uh, or what do you call it? The gap between God the the, the finite the finite to the infinite is just so big that mm. so God needed somebody to embody him. Mm. So he got Jesus to embody him. Now they can see God in the flesh. So they, Okay, now there, there's a mediation. Now we can understand that. But God didn't stop there. Jesus didn't stop there. He needed others to embody him. That's what we call the body of Christ. We are the embodiment of who all that Jesus is. Mm. And how we embody that is by our humility. Yeah. And it's it's important that it's, it's humility for others. Yeah, exactly. The lamb that was yeah. slain was slain for others. Oh, John gosh. holding the scroll in his, in his <laughs> mouth <laughs> and the, the scripture in his tummy yeah, was yeah, yeah. to share with others. Yeah. The yeah. witness's preaching was to share with others. The witnesses dying and being resurrected wasn't for themselves, but it was for those that were to be saved, was yeah. for those that were to glorify God. Yeah. Everything that we do is, is, is humility for the sake of others, which is literally the hardest thing that a human being in the flesh right. could ever be asked to do. But mm-hmm. it's only because of Jesus, God, who, who gave that perfect example that we have now been Ooh, redeemed, that we can do that. So Christians that feel like they, they, that God is asking too much of them to do that, we actually have the spirit in us who allows us to do that. We can live a humble life for others and actually let go of the bonds of this world that, that tie us to, to needing to hold on to our, our rights and our entitlements because we have the spirit in us that allows us to do that because God did it first. Mm-hmm. 
It's awesome. Yeah. Why don't you call us in prayer, Joss? That's amazing. You just you you, you take 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 yeah. it. Worship, prayer, and all that. Let's yeah. just we'll woo, go into this song. I'll just pray, and then we'll. Dan will go into my innocence. Just so you oh, know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so let me just pray, Lord. I just thank, thank you, Jesus. you so much. Yes, Lord. For what you have done for us, for the example that you have given us. Uh, yes, Lord. For how you ha- have shown us, Lord Jesus, Ooh, yes, the Lord. full embodiment of your might yes, and power yeah. and strength, the complete embodiment of this of, of your reign and your majesty is in the Lamb, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. That we know that it is fulfilled by the the act the utter act of sacrifice um, that you gave for us, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that that you have have done this for us so that we can do it for others as yes. well, Lord. So I pray that you will continue to put on our hearts, Lord Jesus, how we can be humble, how we can humble ourselves, Lord Jesus, yes. to live a life for others, to live a life that preaches your word for others, Lord Jesus, that doesn't bow down to the ways of this world or doesn't bow down to, to even needing to, to maintain the things of this world, Lord Jesus. Whatever the world does, it's going to change as it has for generations. But let us live in humility not just so that we are humble, Lord Jesus, but that we are actually marked by humility, that we are identifiable as humility. Let your church be marked by humility, Lord Jesus. Let your church be marked as a humble church, Lord Jesus. Let us be humble as believers and let us let us preach your word with fervor, yes. Lord Jesus. Let us preach your word with complete confidence because it is only through complete humility that we can have confidence in you, Lord Jesus. So let us press into that. Let us pray into that, Lord Jesus. Let us bless your name, Lord Jesus. Let us see miracles be done. The ultimate miracle of lives being saved, Lord Jesus. We thank you that that is your ultimate purpose for us. And we will conquer. We know that your church can conquer. We know that you have called your church to conquer. So, Lord, let us do that in complete humility. Let us love not our lives even to death Lord Jesus in Jesus name.